Yate, Steve Pelletier, Yunishe, Mai Dishkizin initially, Biligana Bush's team, Kilachini Dasache, Biligana Nationale. Welcome back to Resball. We have our weekly Pistons pod. We are joined by Andy, aka Dadger Piston fan. It's the return of Bullion to start off the show. We're going to give some trade scenarios. I'm going to pull Andy left and right to try and get him to decide on some trade stuff. And then we're going to end with my tirade against all these beef stew haters. Because I've had it just about up to here. Let's go ahead and get started right now. everybody to our weekly Pistons pod. Andy is here with us. Andy, let everybody know where they can find you online before we get started. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. So much fun. So many, so many things to talk about with this team. Well, Andy did go to the most recent game on December 2nd against the Cavs. We're going to ask him about it and give him all of his thoughts and observations from, from that game. But the last time we recorded, it was after the Wizards game, I believe, right? Yes, that is correct. So since then, they've had a few more games. No wins yet, sadly. So I'm going to collect. This is a collection of tweets. And I'm going to try to do this. Like I said last time, every time we do a Pistons pod of just the Piston fan barometer to get the idea of where everybody is at since last time. My favorite, I'm going to open this week. I'm going to open my favorite tweet, which came from Sanella at Sunhella, that's at S-U-N, or excuse me, sorry, Sunhella, at S-U-H-N-E-L-L-A. And she tweeted after the Laker game, I guess diving for the ball in practice didn't solve things. So <laughs> that made me crack up pretty bad. Uh, Jack Kelly, after that same game, tweeted out, this team, man, dot, 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 this MFing team. This generally feels like a bad dream. Even the biggest detractors of this team couldn't have predicted the complete and utter disaster we are witnessing. Seems like an appropriate time to hear from the front office ownership, dot, 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 just saying. And that's Jack Kelly at Jack underscore Kelly underscore 313. Go follow his YouTube channel to Pistons Intellect. He usually does reactions after every game there, and he's done it pretty much all season. So shout out Jack Kelly. Zarek at not a Z. P. Berry, so it's at N-O-T, or not Rasp Berry, so Zarek at N-O-T-R-A-Z-P-B-E-R-R-Y, says, I've been trying to come up with something to say about the Pistons, but I genuinely have nothing. That was after the said Laker game also. And then recently, Pistons thoughts, there's Pistons T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S. There is the Pistons Thoughts, T-H-O-T-S out there too, but not that one. Pistons Thoughts, OG Pistons guy. I'm perplexed with how Monty has handled Jaden Ivey's playing time. First, he brings him off the bench, which I completely understand the rationale behind, but fully expect him to play starter minutes. Then he played less than 20 minutes a game. Then he starts him. He's playing well next to Cade. Cade is playing well next to him. Then you put him back on the bench and play him 12 minutes. And now you're on a 16-game losing streak. That was obviously 
after uh, the game before the Cavs, which was, remind me, who we played before the Cavs, the Knicks. That was in that Knicks game there. And then uh, last Jackson, Pistons Twitter OG again from DBB stated, do I wish Ivy was better defensively? Hell yeah, I do. But there are ways around that. Monty ain't tried. Aid Ivy, Asar, Livers, Duran, make Kate focus on D occasionally. Benching Ivy as a first recourse and not telling him that is not what 29 other NBA teams would do. And then last but not least, Beef Stew Fan Club. Oh, sorry, I forgot to give Laz's handle. So Laz Jackson at Laz Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E on Twitter. And then last but not least, the Beef Stew Fan Club at Stew Fan Club says, ah, the Pistons lost. Let me look at every Isaiah Stewart possession and post the bad ones. And that's after our most recent loss to the Cavaliers, which I'm going to touch on that one a lot because I definitely agree with his sarcasm. If you couldn't tell, that was Beef Stew Fan Club sarcasm about really a lot of fans focusing in on Stew's bad play. And like if he has a bad game from three-point land, people just kind of put that on there. So... Those are our, our barometer for the week. Andy, did you feel that same kind of level at the game that you went to last night against the Cavs? Well, the, the game was a lot of fun. And until the fourth quarter, it was actually back and forth. It was a good game. It was entertaining. Um, it was weird. The, the vibe in the arena for Boyan is like he is the savior that is going to, like, seriously, it was like, Michael MJ coming out of retirement, like everybody was just like, he was going to fix this thing. And when, of course, he hit his first three pointer and that was like, you know, like a script writer perfectly made this thing. But uh, before the game, I specifically didn't look at Twitter because I didn't want to see the starting lineup. I wanted to just have it be announced because honestly, I have no clue what Monty's going to do for his starting lineup or really what he's going to do for his rotation. So I'm like, "Eh, let's just see what he rolls out. And uh, they started off very well. And his starting lineup, I liked it. And the only problem, and we had the same problem with another starting lineup that he had, that basically when you're relying on, I guess, creating turnovers and kind of creating a more up-tempo game, it's not something I think you can do consistently, but they were doing it. And they were getting a turnover or getting a stop, and they were running, and they were pushing the pace. And they looked good when they were doing it. And I mean, I had issues because that starting lineup never played in the fourth quarter, which I did not understand because they played well throughout all three quarters when they were on the floor. But yeah, uh, and real quick, can you give us the, the starting lineup you're talking about? Yeah, the, the starting lineup was Killian, Ivy, Cade, Stu, and Duran. And I think Duran had like three three lob dunks in the first quarter. Like he was everywhere. It was great. It was so much, it was such a fun game until the fourth quarter. It was such a fun game. So you and I debated a little bit about the fourth quarter, particularly what was it like the last eight to six minutes somewhere in there? Cause you thought they, they should, they should have gone back to that, that starting lineup, but what was the lineup they ended up closing with? So they closed with the same starting lineup, except for Stu. They pulled Stu off the court and they put in Boyan, which I understand he's a better shooter and he was having a good game. But for me, it's his first game back from an injury. Same thing when livers came back from first came back from an injury. I just don't think you close with them. I think you're better off closing with 
a lineup that has had more time together on the court. And even in this game specifically, the lineup that they started with had been playing well all game. In my opinion, you, you close with that. And because of the way the roster is constructed, you could honestly argue about any lineup Monty closes with because you could say, well, we should have Stu in at center and Duran should be on the bench bench just for defense. Or you could, you know, mix and match different parts. So I understand that's always going to happen. But for me, I just look at the numbers. And if you had a lineup that for three quarters was playing well, I just don't see how you don't go back to it in the fourth quarter. To me, and Monty has done this in other games as well, where he's had, you know, a lineup that's been good earlier in the game. But sometimes, and I think a critique of his has been he's not good at adjusting during games. And I think sometimes he just figures out what his rotation is going to be and he's unwilling to change whatever that plan was because today Boyan played the end of every quarter or the second half of every quarter. And he did this once with Duran when Duran came back from his ankle injury where he started Bagley, but Duran finished the second half of every single quarter throughout the game. So I don't know if that's like just a Monty thing of what he likes to do, or he just did it specifically that way. But and I mean, it's not a big deal closing with Boyan because he had a great game. He's willing to shoot. He made a lot of good plays. But for me, it's like if that lineup was working, just go with it. Yeah. Also, I think like your debate was put Stu back in, right, um, to help out like with defense. But then the counter to that is like you said, you know, Boyan had a good game. He can shoot it from three. He took 10 of them yesterday. But I think, that, like I said before, that I think the answer is the same to both of those like if i have somebody who's like put stew in the answer to that is the same as somebody that would be like put bullion in spacing but guess what stew was one of five from three yesterday and then bullion was three of ten and he really bricked it down the the end and again the bullion people probably end up winning the argument a little bit more if the idea was well it's a close game they need somebody who's more of a legitimate three-point threat. They need somebody who has more creation ability in there. But again, it just proves how broken this roster is, right? Where there are solutions here, but they're just not quite there. And I, I think what you just brought up is another great point, though, that I haven't considered before. It's like Monty's already kind of predetermined what's going to happen. And there's not so many in-game adjustments, which is a recurring theme that we brought up here that other Suns fans and people before who've had Monty Williams teams that they've covered has been a thing. And that's worrisome. Yeah, for, for me, that's worrisome because, I mean, Stu and Boyan obviously are very different on the court. And if for whatever reason, Stu with, with the starting lineup is working, I just don't see how you don't go back to it. I don't understand why you're like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to close with it. And I know it's a small sample size of just one game, but it's like, and for me, the concern is if you are going to have Ivy in there and you're going to have Boyan in there now, defensively, we're going to have a hard time staying in front of anybody. I mean, you can play them together too, Monty, like, come on now. And also like Stu was one of five, but he missed his first four threes and then he hit his fifth one. And then they never went back to him again, shooting from three. It's like, that's not how shooting works, guys. 
I don't know if you know this, but once you hit one, that's when you're supposed to go on the roll. And that's when you start beating the guy that's starting to shoot it well from three. That's why Boyan took 10 of them is because Kate kept trying to find him because he's like, oh, he's starting to hit some. Let's let him drain him down there. And then also with the way Monty pulls guys in and out, I think it's hard to get on a hot streak like that, too. This can bleed over to Ivy as well. This is like, hey, he's starting to hit a few. Nope. Come on out of there. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's frustrating, but hopefully we'll get to see a lineup combination that's consistent and that's fun. Hopefully, question mark. Yeah, hopefully is a, a good, good thought because I honestly have no clue because and especially if you follow stuff on Twitter, everyone overreacts from game to game. When Ivy did start, it's like, see, that's what we've been waiting for. Ivy opens up Cade, and that's why Cade is playing better. And then the next game, I don't think Ivy even played in the first quarter. And then Monty brought him in as like the 11th man <laughs> off the bench in, in the second quarter. And it's like, then people switch to, oh, it's Cade, Ivy, and um, Killian. When we have the three-guard rotation, that's what's going to open it up, and that's what's going to happen but again, we don't stick with really anything long enough. And I understand when you're losing, you need to or you want to do something to change things. But for a few games, I was looking at the fourth quarter lineups. And for like three games in a row, I don't think he's had the same lineups play in the fourth quarter. And it's like, how can guys get in a rhythm and how can they get comfortable? And I mean, honestly, I think some of these guys don't even know their role. Like, what is Ivy's role on this team? I have no clue. So, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And especially, I think Ivy's the best example for this because when he's starting, he's doing something different. And when he's coming off the bench, he's doing something different when he's playing 19 minutes than when he's playing like 25. And if he's playing somewhere in between there. Again, that's a whole nother different role. So consistency, that's all we're asking for down the line now is to have some kind of consistency. Hopefully with Boyan back, the consistency ends up being there more. You feel like last night was the rotation that we're going to see and that really that's who the guys at Monty are going to stick with? Um, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't. Um, in some, I know... Um, Asar had an injury, like a fracture to his face when he caught that elbow, which he got called for a foul on. You explained that to me. I don't understand how that happens. But um, before, even before that happened, I did think Asar was slowing down a little bit. I don't know if like maybe the minutes in the games, just him being this age, playing this much basketball. The rookie wall, man. He's hitting the rookie yes. wall like everybody. Yeah, I don't, didn't know if that was starting to affect him where I actually don't mind him playing a few less minutes right now um, to figure out rotations, because I think the blessing to the injuries was we got to see him start. We got to see him play 30 minutes. We got to see what he can do. And in many ways, he surprised all of us by being better. So he kind of gives us a good idea as to what he is right now. And and, and disagree with me if if you if you see something different, but I think in a lot of ways we don't even get the main benefit of Asar because the Pistons switch so much on defense. Half the time he's not defending the other team's best scorer because they easily switch and they get the matchup that they want instead of having Asar spend most of his time on the other team's best player. Um, but I think we have an idea of what he is. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him 
moved around, and they kind of did that yesterday, moved around a lot by position and by lineups just to see where Boyan and some other people fit and kind of sacrifice him, I guess you could say, for right now. So the, the best moment from last night's game had to do with Asar. I don't know if you saw it there live. We all saw it on TV because the camera's like zoomed in on it. Can you guess what the best moment from last night's game was? And it has to do with Asar. Um, I do not. So when Asar, I think, missed that second three-pointer and they, they call timeout, something or somebody got fouled or something, Boyan went up to Asar after that and started talking with him and like clapping and be like, yo, man, this is what you need to do. Like, great job. Keep trying it. That's what Asar needs more than anything, especially from a knockdown three-point shooter like Boyan, who's made a whole career off of that as somebody that can say, that was a good shot. Like, that's really your mechanics. Because both of those that he missed yesterday were on target. And that's really like baby steps. Baby steps for a star shooting is don't airball it, man. And both of those were much better. I mean, you, you we've all seen it. If you follow this team, he's had some brutal misses. You just got to eliminate those brutal misses. And that was the best part to me because the star needs that encouragement. Asar needs a shooter that's going to help him out and say, like, this is what you need to do. Maybe try this next time there. And we just want him to be a capable shooter. And ain't nobody out here saying he's going to be Ray Allen or anything like that. Just hit enough of them, like 33% or whatever. Even at 30%, that makes makes Asar a completely different kind of threat. So kudos to Boyan for being the vet, especially what we've talked about, too, of like veteran leadership, being somebody out there on the court that can provide an extra set of eyes and be like, do this instead of that. So I do remember that. And honestly, I thought what what Boyan was trying to tell Asar was you should be cutting and driving to the basket. And I would be filling in to either take that shot because the defenders are going with you or you're going to get the ball, you know, when you're going to the basket. But I did like seeing Boyan talk to him right away and basically give him some some mentorship. Yeah, and this team needs that at every last single position. So that's awesome. Boyan, though, Boyan's back. We have been advocating for trading for Boyan or trading Boyan away for quite a long time. And lo and behold, this last week, Michael Scoto over at Hoops Hype released like the top trade candidates and broke all of our hearts. A lot of people don't believe this report. I kind of do. Well, I'll just say I do believe this report. No kinds of, we're not a wishy washy podcast here. We take firm stances. So Michael Scotto did report in this top trade candidates that the Pistons were offered not one, but two first round picks for Bojan Bogdanovic and Troy Weaver turned it down. First off, Andy, do you believe that report? And secondly, if it's true, what's your reaction? I do not believe that report because if it is true, I'm incredibly angry. Um, Obviously, I'm one of the people who says, you know, Boyan should have been moved sooner and sooner than most people think. Um, And what's going to be funny is I'm probably going to be someone who flips and says that we don't move him now, which Steve is going to be like, how can you flip? And for me, it's I just said we're not a flip flopping podcast. Wishy washiness. Get out of here. But but let me explain why. And, And the reasoning is I think we missed the opportunity to get max value. And depending how the next 20 games look, the the lineup, the team is going to need someone who can score. They're going to need someone who can do what Boyan does. And 
at least we know, have a pretty good idea of how he fits and how much usage and touches he takes away. He's extremely efficient. He really is. And I don't know for the price if we can find someone to fill that role who's actually as good as him. But all of this is really contingent on the other moves you're making around the roster. Like if we knew what their plans were in other positions, you can make a plan that says, okay, keeping Boyan actually makes more sense. Or, you know, like Steve says, trade everybody except for the core and we're going to build around them, which I get. I totally see that. My concern is you're going to trade Boyan for whatever you get and then be looking for someone to replace Boyan and end up with someone who actually doesn't do the role as well as he does. Because unfortunately, the risk of injury, we already faced it. And hopefully he doesn't re-injure that calf in the next 20 games or that's disaster. Yeah, that's more my thinking, Andy, is if you don't trade him and that happens, then that's worse than any other possible outcome because then you get nothing for him. He's old and nobody will want him and you just kind of got to wait out the money um, as well. So I'm really trying to avoid that. And what you're saying of like what he could return, well, let's get an idea of what he could return because in that same Hoops Hype article, Michael Scotto lays out realistic trade targets too. This isn't just like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, the Suns are going to move off Bradley Beal, even though they got him. But like, oh, maybe LeBron James is going to trade away from the Lakers. They're not doing that. And it's sort of only he lays out players that teams are going to want to move for whatever reason. So I came up with a list. I came up with a list of guys from this article that I think are realistic trade targets. What I mean by that, I mean that the Pistons are not trading Kate Cunningham. Those of you that want to trade Kate Cunningham out there in the fandom, Go find another team, please. The next ones are Jaden Ivey. We're not trading Jaden Ivey. We're not trading Jalen Dern. We're not trading Isaiah Stewart. We're not trading Asar Thompson. Those guys are here. Don't move them because all of them are 22 years or younger. you got to figure out what they are. They all have great potential. Even if they're just a role player, they have these things that the Pistons need and that they should invest in, especially Ivey, Cade. And uh, Asar, their top five picks. You don't just trade away top five picks like that without letting them go through their full rookie contract and understand what they are, especially when they've shown all the potential that these three guys have, Ivy, Kate, and Asar. So the rest of the roster, though, the rest of the roster is there for the take. Boyan, the Burks, Bagley. I'm even of the mindset like Marcus Sasser could be available if the right deal came along. He's on the edge for me. Only because realistically, six foot one guards who don't handle the ball aren't the primary ball maker and who aren't going to be like the elite of elite Emmanuel quickly point of attack defender. Like they just are not worth that much as a starter. And if, if Sasser is not a starter, too, if you don't believe in him as a starter, I don't know how valuable that guy is. So the rest of the roster, no Cade, no Ivy, no Sar, no Stu, no Duran. The rest of the roster is available. Let's look at this list. The list I came up with from the Hoops Hype article are DeAndre Hunter, Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, Isaac Okoro, Rashawn Holmes, Maxi Kleba, Bones Highland, Norman Powell, Rui Hachimura, Davis Bertans, Vasile Micic, uh, Davion Mitchell, Colin Sexton. And then the other two that I added that weren't on the Hoops Hype are Tari Eason, and Alex Sej Pokushevsky. 
Those would be the guys that I would target. And I think specifically a guy like DeAndre Hunter or like Norman Powell probably would be like something you could get with a Bojan for two reasons of like Bojan is still usable as long as they believe in his health. Like that's a guy that can help out uh, an Atlanta Hawks team who loves to shoot threes with Quinn Snyder's system. Or he can help out an L.A. Clipper team who need another floor spacer after the disaster that's going on right now. And both the Hawks and the Clippers, they need to get off that money. They want to get off those contracts so they can pay other guys. So I think those would be ones to look at. DeAndre Hunter, I've always liked, but I'm also kind of worried because of the health. Like he's never really stayed healthy for a consistent 82 game. So maybe you don't say yes to that one because it might be adding on another health concern onto what's already here. Like Royce O'Neal, Dory Finney-Smith, we've said it before. Those are the perfect kind of guys that you want to surround Aiden Ivy with. Guys that know I'm just going to stand around here, jack up threes and play tough defense. Isaac Coro is a nice gamble, I think, as, as a young dude who's becoming a better three-point shooter. We saw him in that Cleveland game. He's a great defender. He knows how to attack. Rashawn Holmes, Maxi Kleba, those guys are kind of on the end of their career. But I think just having, again, that veteran big who's seen a bunch of different things, who's been on successful teams and been like a starter for playoff teams, it's nice to have those guys. And they're not going to cost a lot, right? And then Bones Highland. One of the, and Bones Highland, uh, Colin Sexton, I think, and Vasile Micic. If those of you that don't know Vasile Micic, he's a former EuroLeague MVP. He's a formal former EuroLeague champion. Like he has a resume second to none in basketball and professional basketball. Bones, Micic, and Sexton to me all profile as the guys that are going to be assertive. That's the one thing I think that Bojan has like immediately day one has just shown us is that this Piston needs being team needs somebody that's going to be more assertive on offense. Not selfish, but like, okay, I know I'm open. I know I'm going to take this. Okay. I know I've wiggled enough room. Here I am. I know I'm in my spot. I'm really good at taking the shot. I'm going to take it. I think Bones, Micic, and Sexton can all do that. Again, probably available just based on where they are with their teams and positions. Uh, Davis Bertans is the one that I'm like, eh, I'm not thrilled about it, but he'd probably be easy to get. And he's a volume three-point shooter that can play power forward and center if you want to get weird and funky. And then Davion Mitchell, fantastic point of attack defender. Uh, he's also getting better as a three-point shooter, which is absolutely something that the Pistons need. But I do think Tari Eason is the best target. He's kind of fallen out of the rotation with the Rockets, with how they've accelerated. He's been like the ninth, tenth man most of the time. But he, again, is a very good defender. He can play small forward. He can play power forward. He is a good shooter. He's also a very good athlete that could be another lob threat and get out there and run with those guys. And then you, you do, do buy into a shot. It's improved a lot over the last three years. Super underrated defender and shooter that I think has just kind of fallen out of what the Rockets want to do right now. They're like, ooh, he needs a little bit more development time. But no, no, no. We got to play Jeff Green. We got to play Dylan Brooks. We got to play these guys that keep us in the play-in position. But I think Tari, I think he's like 23, 22. Fits right in the timeline. Fills in the defense and the spacing that you need. And then Poku is the other one that I would really, really, really try to look at. They're not playing Poku at all in Oklahoma City. Even the last year, he averaged over one block per game, shot very well from three. And get out in transition is a good passer as well. Obviously, you'd like him to be bigger. But as you and I have stated so much, it'd be nice to have a shooter at one of the big man spots, like a legit shooter at one of the big man spots. And then the, the fact that he can get out there and run 
with Ivy and Sora and all that. I don't know that he would cost that much to get because again, he's going to be a restricted free agent this next offseason, Poku. And they're not playing him right now. So if you're not playing somebody, that means you don't want to pay him either. So Tori Eason and Alexej Pokushevsky would be some of my top targets just for the sole purpose of their younger guys. They're probably not going to be a lot to prime them free. And they, they fill in roles and positions and places that this Piston team needs. So any of your thoughts on the trade candidates? So would the Pistons, so this would be for trading for Boyan. Well, I mean, it could be anything. It could be Burks. It could be Boyan, whatever you think it would take to get them. That's why I wanted to get your take on this. Cause obviously some of them like uh, Deandre Hunter, Norman Powell, Colin Sexton, um, probably even like bones, you're probably going to have to trade Boyan either for the money reasons or like, that's the level of player that you're giving up in order to get him. But yeah. some of the other ones like could just require Burks, like the Davis Bertans ones, that's an easy, like Burks and whatever else. And like, Oh, the, the one I forgot to mention was Rui Hachimura who's kind of a wild card. I don't really know where the Lakers stand on him, but again, a nice assertive score. What do you think of, uh, I know he's hurt right now, but what do you think of Luke Kennard? Didn't we have him already? Yeah, we did. I, do you believe once we've had them, it's like we don't ever need them back again? I do not believe that, but I think organizationally, look around the NBA, that just very rarely ever happens for whatever reason. So I just don't believe it would happen. I also think if you want Luke Kennard, just wait to the offseason, get Buddy Heald or Gary Trent Jr., who are better fits. And I think better shooters and what you need for this. I don't want to start Luke Kennard. I think Buddy Heald and, and Gary Trent Jr. like are better defenders flat out. And I think that both of those other guys, Gary Trent and Buddy Heald are better movement shooters that don't require dribbling as much as Luke. Luke's still a great, fantastic catch and shoot. I just don't think he's as good of a, a fit. And then when you have these guys that you can get without having to give up anything in the off season, just wait it out. And then do you think, would you be interested as a free agent, uh, Tobias Harris? I would. It would depend, though, um, on, on what else is going on with the roster. Like anybody that's asked to trade for Zach Levine, I'm like, you probably get 150% of what you hope to get with Zach Levine with, with Tobias Harris. He's bigger. He actually plays defense and he doesn't demand the ball. His game doesn't you know, predicate it on dribble, 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 dribble. He's happy to be number three, number four, number two when he when called upon. So I wouldn't be opposed to it. But I think that one's a little bit harder because you probably do have to give up like draft compensation. And uh, Daryl Morey, the GM of the 76ers, has already come out and said like Tobias Harris is worth two first round picks. So, you know, he ain't giving that guy up for cheap. Got it. Do you have an idea on how much you think if they don't trade? Because, I mean, Buddy Heald, this is the last year of his contract. So how much money do you think it's going to cost to sign Buddy? Probably somewhere between 20 to 25 million. I mean, he's one of the best three-point shooters ever. I believe he's like top 20 all-time in, in made three-pointers. The only active players who have shot and made more threes than Buddy Heald or Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Maybe KD too. I think KD might be the other one. But I mean, he's in elite territory. He's got an elite skill set. You just can't can't fudge on that guy. And I think any free agent that the Pistons are going to look at, that's a legitimate difference maker. Whatever you think you can get him for, you got to pay probably like 10 to 15 million more than that because this team sucks. And I'm sure that's going to affect like perception from agencies around the NBA. And who are you looking at in terms of a backup point guard position? 
Do you think there's any hope at re-signing Monte Morris and just keeping him here? Or do you think well, I mean, it depends on his health. Number one, it depends on his health. So we'll see. I mean, I think there is because obviously Monte got his jersey retired, but Flynn, they did the whole TV package on it during the broadcast of the Cleveland game. He's done fantastic work in the community, even when he wasn't on the Pistons. And he just talked so much about wanting to play for Detroit and be back in Michigan. So I think it's a possibility. But Andy, why are you ducking all these trade questions? Um, I'm my mind just isn't to trades yet. I'm not there yet. Who do you want out of that list? Come on, man. Um, the guys from OKC are interesting to me. And the problem is I don't actually I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but the the guard. Micic, 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 Micic. I'm going to look into him more. I would be curious because we do need a veteran guard. Like we, we need that a veteran guard with experience. Um, my main two things are we need a veteran wing. So like you mentioned, Royce O'Neal, like I would be totally fine with that. I think this is the last year of his contract as well. So I think he'll be a free agent. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith, we talked about him before the season started. We would love to get get him on this team. Um, but yeah, for me right now, I'm I'm holding on to Boyan, and not tra- which I know sounds crazy coming out of my mouth. Um, I'm holding disappointing, him. Andy. Disappointing. But the thing is, I just I have to see. And oh man, I hate saying this. I hate being a flip flopper. But I have to see what Cade, what his numbers look like in the next 20 games, just having a score next Yeah, to then him. let him do that and then trade Boyan away once you get your, your data. But, that's fine. But I have to legitimately know, like, where am I getting that replacement? Who is the next scorer who's coming in? And some of this stuff I wouldn't even be considering. But with Monte's, Monte's rotation and how he's using Ivy, I don't even know what we have. I'm just baffled with what we have in terms of, because right now, besides Cade, this team didn't have another scorer on the team because of how we're using our number five pick from last season. So I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confused right now. Yeah. I, I understand that. That part of it too is like Boyan comes back and immediately you can see, Oh, we have an actual legitimate secondary tertiary scorer and you see the immediate impact. And he gives, and then you want to immediately trade away that kind of go back how it was before. I get that part of it, but to me, it's all about asset management too. And like this team doesn't have anything else. And come on, we're Piston fans. We know how free agency usually works, and it should scare you when the Pistons have a lot of cap space, just historically, from what's happened before and spending it on the wrong people. I think this team needs to take any and all avenues they can to find guys that could fit into at least like a five-year type of plan. And like a DeAndre Hunter, again, even though I'm worried about the health, he's like 24, 25. He fits that there again. Tar Eason's like 22. He fits into there. Poku, again, is like 22. He fits into that. And you just need to be taking more stabs at it. Bojan's probably not going to be here in two years. Burks is probably not going to be here in two years. Bagley's probably not going to be here in two years. So you need to take this time now to send them out, to bring in some guys that at least fit into a legitimate role. And I've used the Memphis Grizzlies one so often because that's what they did with their late first round picks. Pistons obviously don't have a lot of late first round picks, but you can find guys like that here in the trade market when you have veterans that could be useful to other teams. 
But real quick, you did want to know about uh, Vasily Micic. He's 29 years old. He is listed at six foot three and about 187 pounds. Two-time EuroLeague champion in 2021 and 2022, where he played for Andalus Efes, which is one of the teams in Turkey. He was the EuroLeague Final Four MVP in 21, 2021 and 22, and he was also the entire MVP of the entire EuroLeague in 2021. So he is highly decorated point guard, shooting guard. He can shoot the three. He can dish out the rock. Currently on the Oklahoma City Thunder, Vasily Micic is playing 12.3 minutes, 12.3 minutes per game and is scoring 3.4 points per game. 0.5 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 0.1 steals. And then the shooting splits are 40% from two, 35.7% from three, and then 66.7% from the free throw line. It's hard, though, because it's only 98 total minutes across eight games um, this season. So, again, it goes back to my point. This is probably somebody that you can shake free a little bit easier than other trade candidates. So, I guess he just turned 32 my bad. Thanks a lot, Wikipedia. It was the last time I used you for uh, for biography. Okay, never mind. He turns 30 on January 13th. So, he'll be 30 this season. But, again, highly decorated veteran who's seen a lot of things. I don't know how well that plays out like an NBA locker room, but I imagine somebody like Bojan, uh, who's played over in EuroLeague, and I imagine somebody like Monty, who's been through like San Antonio development, office stuff and whatever would be like yo man like this guy's got legit stuff and um Mitch's his teammate there uh Andalus FS was Shane Larkin who was drafted by Mavericks way back when so another American born player and like he has Mitch has guys that can vouch for him for sure. What are your thoughts? He wasn't on your list but just the idea of trading Boyan for Evan Fournier to get our first round pick back. Are you for that or against that? I mean, I, I kind of for it. I think I'm like 60% for it. It's not my favorite one. I would rather than bring back something more like the Dorian Finney-Smith or the uh, Royce O'Neal or DeAndre Hunter, where it brings in an, a guy that like, okay, you already know what their role is. You know they're going to fit and fill in that spot. <laughs> and again, I'm of two minds. I'm, I'm with you of like, this team needs that Bojan this team needs somebody here now to help out with Cade to give us data of what he looks like when there's another legitimate scorer or a couple of them on the court. But I, I also am of the other mind of, like I said, this team needs future assets. So if it's the best deal, then yeah, absolutely go ahead and take it. But if there's something else out there um, or specifically a forward that can shoot the three and defend, then I think you should probably take that instead. So, like, I used to be for that trade, and now I don't like that trade just because of the timing of things now. I think with their cap space, I would probably see, like, better options to wait until we figure out our draft selection and using that draft pick and the space we have to try and bring in a player that way. Um, Just because losing Boyan to get back that pick with the protections on it. I mean, we, it, it interferes with trading, but we can just use the player we draft and send that player in a trade. If that the makes fault in that plan though, is if you wanted to lose that pick, you knew you were going to lose that pick down the line. This would have been the year to do it because this draft is so fluid and there's no like clear guy that's going to come in and help out and grow. Even at the top, 
somebody like a Jacoby Walter, who a lot of people like as a, a volume three point shooter and a really good defender. He's a guard. He's like six, five. It's not a fantastic fit with Ivy and with Cade and Killian and throw another guard into the mix. Maybe he can play up to, to the small ball, like three, his skill set fits, but everything else of being a guard and he doesn't pass very well currently uh, as well. And that even the other guys that have been sold on upside, uh, Isaiah Collier, that's a disaster. It's another like ball dominant point guard who doesn't shoot well and is a high turnover machine. <laughs> you don't want that guy. Number one for uh, all those reasons there. And then even Alex Saar, he's uh, a big man who looks like he's really good on defense, but his shooting is ugh, like some people believe in it. Like I don't believe in it. And if you're bringing in another big man who can't shoot, sounds like it's right up Troy Weaver's alley. But it's not going to help with this long term. So that's why I think, too, like if you wanted to lose that pick and that was the gamble down the line, this was the year to do it. I mean, that makes sense because it's a weaker draft. And I mean, I, and I don't like no, 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 it's not a weaker draft. It's a fluid draft. That's one of my my pet peeves about Thank it. Thank you. It's I one would- of those. Yeah, it's one of those drafts where, like, it really is going to depend who gets the number one overall pick. There are probably about you know, five guys in contention for who's number one. It's just none of them have been Paulo. We're like, since age 15, they're like, hey, that's six foot 10 kid who's 250. Yeah, he's going to be number one. Or like Wembenyama, we're like, oh, that's seven foot four guy. Yeah, we we tout him. There, there's been nobody like that, that like at, from a young age, everybody said, yo, he's the dude. Yes, thank you. Thank you for correcting me because I do not like the term of a, a weaker draft because there's talent drafted in every draft. And you it's part of it comes down to your needs and part of it comes down to your ability to evaluate talent. So yes. All right. So we're gonna end this podcast on talking about Cade and talking about Isaiah Stewart in particular. The Cade one is just more directed towards people who still continue to hate on him. For whatever reason, I'm going to give you some numbers. Cade Cunningham is second in the NBA in field goal attempts. Cade Cunningham is also 13th in terms of made field goals in the entire NBA. He's 13th in made field goals. Cade Cunningham is fifth in the entire NBA in assists. And then Cade is also 18th. In steals, in total steals, Cade Cunningham is 18th in steals. And then finally, Cade Cunningham is 17th in terms of points in the entire NBA. It's amazing that people are still dissing all over on Cade, saying he's inefficient, saying he's not like a number one guy when he's top 20 in all these different statistical categories. And again, he has a very little to no help along the way. I laid it out last time that he didn't have anybody within the top 100 in terms of shot attempts, like nobody else on this team is even taking somewhere between top 100. It changed when I looked at it before the um, the game against the Cavs, where it was like top 85. Now K doesn't have a, a teammate in the top 94 in terms of field goal attempts. So it's still there in like a high number where he's the only player in the top 20 in terms of field goal attempts that doesn't have another teammate who's anywhere near him. The gap between him and the next guy on the team to take that amount of field goals is just a grand canyon. So for him to still maintain being top 20 in all of these different statistical categories and the steals one, I think the steals one is underrated. I want to say it was like Ben Pfeiffer or, um, 
Jackson. I forget his, his last name's Jackson Frank, maybe. I forget. Sorry if I if I forget. I'm going to try to remember, like, link it in the description. But somebody tweeted out about, like, oh, man, Kate Cunningham's defense and his uh, progression on defense is going underrated. And I've really enjoyed his film. I think, again, being 18th in steals in the entire NBA kind of speaks to that. And I don't think we think enough about Kate as a defender because of all the other turmoil that's gone around and everybody wanting him to be, like, Kevin Durant, Anthony Edwards already in year three. But yeah, stop sleeping on Cade, man. Top 20 in all these different statistical categories. Yeah, I've I've never had a concern about what I guess, you know, Cade is doing right now because the situation's just not good. It's a bad situation. So for him doing what he's doing, I think he's had a great season. I actually I was doing numbers and I think. For the last 10 games, his three-point percentage has been 38%. So, like, he's he's doing just fine. Um, and in some ways, that's why I want to see the games with Bojan to see when some of that pressure is taken off. Because I do think he's a player, when you surround him with better players, is going to look even better because he just makes everything else go. And, like... It's really easy to be negative with all the losses that this team has, but certain players have played better. Like for me, Killian Hayes has played better. He has had a good season. That doesn't mean that he's good enough for us to keep, but he's improved. Like he's improved. He's playing better. I think it's the wrong direction for us to continue with him. That's just my opinion because I don't, I just look at the ceiling in keeping him, but just not high enough ceiling. It's not a high enough ceiling to make things work, but uh, he's improved. He's played better. It's not like I'm anti-Killian. I just think the team has to move forward. Clearly, you don't have a daughter. You want to marry him off to you then, I guess, huh? But if you don't know so, that reference, go look it back up. I, I know that reference, and this isn't exactly it, but um, at last night's game, the Cavaliers game, I was with... I was with a friend and her husband from college and they have two daughters and they love Killian Hayes. He is the <laughs> MVP. He's a good looking dude. Ain't nobody ever knocked him on that one for sure. So the last one I want to end on is going to be a little bit of a rant because I'm pretty sick and tired of like Piston fans ragging all over Beef Stew. And to reiterate uh, the tweet that I gave you from Beef Stew Fan Club, you know, I know people are going to be like, it's Beef Stew Fan Club. Of course, he's going to say that. Like, what else would he say? It's in his Twitter handle. But I think he has a point. Again, Beef Stew Fan Club, at Stew Fan Club. Ah, the Pistons lost. Let me look at every Isaiah Stewart possession and post the bad ones. And then he said later, Stew missed four threes and I got to watch all of them. Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Ogie missed seven. Ivy went 0 for 3. Asar 0 for 2. Post those. I think that's a fantastic point. That he's making here is like Isaiah Stewart, along with Kate Cunningham, is taking a lot of unnecessary straight bullets and people are just being incredibly impatient. That's where my my iron, my anger comes with it. It's like this is only the second season Isaiah Stewart has ever taken threes and it's been a part of his game. He's been mainly a traditional bruiser all the way in college, all the way in his first year in the NBA. And now last year they started saying, hey, let's extend your range. This is the second year. Where he's doing that, it's like it takes time. Also, I don't think people understand the ebbs and flows of being a good shooter. I've said it before on this podcast, Jay Crowder. Go look at Jay Crowder's numbers as a three-point shooter. We all think of him as one, but they're not top-notch. He goes up. He has like five games where he's 40%, and then he has 
five games where he's like 25% and then it goes up and down like that, but he's hitting them enough. And he's become enough of a three-point threat that people have to respect him and guard him. That's the point with Isaiah Stewart. Nobody's saying he needs to be Ray Allen. Nobody's saying he needs to be Jaron Jackson Jr. But this is part of the process in a season where he needs to understand going up and down and figuring out what are his good spots on the three-point range. And the type of uh, three-pointers that he's best at, whether it's pick and pop, whether it's standstill. I don't think he's a movement shooter, though. I'm not going to go that far. Piston Fleet. Pistons Fleet at Pistons Fleet tweeted out today is also there's many fans that want a four that can shoot, rebound, and protect the rim for the Pistons. Players in the NBA that have greater than a three point percentage greater than 36%, free throw percentage greater than 75%, a block rate of greater than 1.5%, an offensive rebound greater than 4.75%. A defensive rebounding percentage greater than 16 and a positive defensive EPM. There are four guys in the NBA that have those stats, those combination of stats. They shoot over 36% from three. They shoot over 75% from the line. They have a block rate greater than one and a half or 1.5. They have an offensive rebound percentage greater than 4.75. They have a defensive rebounding percentage greater than 16. And they have a positive defensive EPM. Those four guys are Chet Holmgren, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Johnson, who's breaking out for the Hawks, and Isaiah Stewart. Like, what are we doing here, guys? This is absolutely ridiculous. Yes, he's not the same like level of creator. Yes, he's not in the same role as all those guys. But when you're one of four, and that's a great statistical poll, because I think a lot of times people will do a statistical poll and they'll could like, you know, just cherry pick one or two things. This one's a really good one because again, it's saying, okay. Let's look at some power forwards. Let's look at that position group. Number one, <laughs> let's look at the shooting numbers, both the three-point and the free throw. Like you can easily cherry pick one of those two to, to weed out the guys that aren't good free throw shooters, but good three-point shooters and vice versa. And then that also rebound the ball on both the defense and offensive glass that also protect the rim like they're supposed to, and then impact defensive positive. And all these guys, all these guys here, <laughs> That was the sell on them. It was like, they're going to be really good on defense and you want them to be a uh, stretch four and space out the floor. So Isaiah Stewart's right there with Chet. He's right there with my guy, Scotty, my favorite non-piston, probably the only non-piston right now that I truly love, Scotty Barnes, and then Jalen Johnson. The other stats that I want to give out have to do with Beef Stew in terms of defense. I think Beef Stew has not gotten his due on defense. Watch the film. Watch the film. Look at his one-on-one man-to-man defense against the other team's top option. He got in LeBron's head. That was a fantastic defensive effort and game on LeBron. He turned LeBron into a jump shooter anytime that he was there. He also made LeBron have that hilarious flop that he got called for. It's just fantastic. Look at his defense against Kyle Kuzma in the Washington game. In that first half, he shut him out. And then when Beef Stew sat down on the bench, that's when Kuzma went off. Look at him in the next game where he was isolated on the Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson was not able to get to the rim like he wanted to. And then Isaiah Stewart on Julius Randle was also high comedy just to be able to snuff him out there. And then in the Cavs game, the Cavs game, you got to see Beef Stew isolated on the guards, Garland and Mitchell. And he did a fantastic job. I can give you some numbers of just how fantastic of a job Beef Stew has done this season, if you go to nba.com slash stats, one of the things you can look up is tracking numbers and the defensive dashboard. What is the def- defensive dashboard, you might ask? 
it tracks like, okay, when a player is guarding other players, what do those players shoot against them? Like what's the defense shooting or what's the offensive guy shooting against them when this guy is guarding them? So Isaiah Stewart, Isaiah Stewart's overall defensive field goal percentage. And again, defensive field goal percentage is the defended field goal percentage. Beef Stew's defensive field goal percentage is 40.8. Can Beef Stew's defensive field goal percentage is 40.8. That's really good. That means that the guys shooting against him overall are incredibly inefficient, way below league average there. Three pointers, Isaiah Stewart's defensive field goal percentage in three pointers is 31.6. So anytime anybody's trying to shoot a three pointer against Beef Stew, they're hitting it at 31.6%. Again, way below league average there. Two pointers, 44.7% defensive field goal percentage. If you break it down even more than that, really it's the ones less than six feet. Beef Stew is 51.4% defensive field goal percentage. Even then, that's not bad. Like 51 is okay and shows like he's still fighting. And that's probably where like his length against centers comes into play. But 51.4% is not bad. Beef Stew's defensive field goal percentage on shots less than 10 feet is 48.1%. Again, a very good percentage. And then Beef Stew on shots greater than 15 feet is 34.7%. So anything that's a mid-range shot, anything that's a three-point shot, anything 15 feet or greater, guys are shooting 34.7% against Beef Stew. Those are some fantastic defensive numbers. I pulled the SARS as well. They are not as good as that. So you know, everybody's saying that Asar is the best defender on the Pistons. You need to revise that and go back and look at these defensive tracking numbers for Beef Stew. If that was not enough, I looked at Beef Stew's defensive on-off numbers. Points per 100 possession, that means this player, every 100 possessions, like how much do they allow? And Beef Stew's is negative 12.8. That puts him in the 98th percentile in defensive points per 100 possessions. An effective field goal possession or effective field goal percentage is basically like what do uh, guys shoot against beef stew when you put their two pointers and their three pointers together together? What percentage does that equal out to? Well, for beef stew, it's minus 5.2, which puts beef stew in the 96th percentile. Again, this is the top of the top. I, I made a comment to Andy before we started recording. Beef stew is the Kate Cunningham on defense for this Pistons team. He's doing major work. He's making everybody he faces straight up in man-to-man defense, like just become frustrated. And again, it's putting him into this elite category in the points per 100 possession on defense, 98th percentile, effective field goal percentage on defense, 96th percentile. Stop complaining about beef stew. He's doing fantastic work on D. And yes, the shooting goes up and down. That's what shooting does. Every shooter goes through slumps. And these guys that are just learning how to shoot at the beginning, it takes time, but Beef Stew has done fantastic. And I am just like had it up to here with anybody that's dissing all over Beef Stew. Well, I think the biggest thing that a lot of that argument comes down to is people's expectations. Um, Beef Stew, I think he's making like $5 million this year. And when his extension kicks in, I think it's like $15 million. That's and still nothing, though. That's like such a small amount. But they want to compare him to, to power forwards who are making like 30 million. And it's like, you can't get the same production for that money. Like, there's a reason why those guys are making 30 million. There's a reason why that team is willing to spend that percentage of the cap. 
And the person you should be angry at is actually Troy Weaver, who in the offseason didn't do anything to give the team any other options at the four position. But even for me, I'm not disappointed in what Beef Stew is doing. I actually wish he would shoot more threes. I wish every player on this team would shoot more threes. Amen. And, and honestly, I think, especially because they're young, but this losing streak is getting to them and it's making them hesitant to shoot. It's like they said, it's taking away their swagger because I think every player except for Cade Cunningham, their three-point percentage for the last 10 games is lower than the first 10 games of the season. I think everybody's shooting has regressed and gone down. Stewart's, Fassers, Burks, Ivy's, Killian, but his has been like flat 31, so it's nothing to like tell your mom about or anything. Consistency, Andy, consistency. <laughs> but I mean, I, I do believe when they do get a win and they get that monkey off their back, they will be playing a little freer. They'll have less pressure. Maybe they'll have a little more joy. And that was actually one of the things I saw for three quarters of that Cavs game is they were playing with joy. They were playing, they were enjoying, they were having fun. And I think part of it is just mentally with, with Boyan being back, having that veteran who can get buckets. It's just like having another guy on their side for the fight where they're like, it just gives them confidence, I feel. So I do believe Wednesday they will get a win against the Grizzlies. And if they don't, oh man, we're in trouble. Yeah, this is not to say beef stews without criticism too, because like you said, they need to be taking more threes. I also think that that the one that's been clipped from the Cleveland game is where beef stew caught it open and then he tried to fake a pass over to the corner. Mitchell closed out on him and then he tried to pass it the other way and turned over. I agree. Uh, as we've stated before on the show, it's like a lot of guys need to be sat down and be like, do you understand what an open shot is? I think Beef Stew probably should be number one on that list. And this is where Boyan should be able to help him out more is to be like, take that next time. Like, look, the guy that's closing out on you is six foot one, man. I know he's got a big wingspan, but he can't make up that time where he jumped to. He's jumping at you like sideways. Like, bro, just take that next time. So yeah, that's the part of Beef Stew that has been frustrating, to say the least. But if I were to tell you there is a forward on a 12 and 7 team right now who's making 39 million and they are taking 3.3 three point attempts per game, which is less than beef stew, and they are sure to shooting 32.3% from three. They're supposed to be a shooter. Could you guess who that was? How much are they making? So they are making 39 million. They're on a 12 and 7 team. They're taking less shots than Beef Stew at 3.3 three-point attempts per game, and they're shooting way less percentage than Beef Stew at 32.3%. Who is that? Is is that Tobias? It's your guy Tobias. So even like, there he goes. This is again another like thing in Beef Stew's cap. He's like, look, he's shooting better than Tobias. And everybody automatically assumes Tobias would cook him from the three-point line, both in terms of attempts and both in terms of percentage. I think Tobias is going to get better and probably end up closer like 38, 40% by the end of the year. But again, look at the progression. The progression Bisu has made already and just the role he's trying to fill. Like, stop complaining about it. He's playing fantastic defense and he's progressing as a shooter. That's the thing. He's not Jaron Jackson Jr. Don't expect him to be that. It's just going to take time. And he's done a fantastic job so far. Andy, do you have anything else to say about our Pistons this week? Nope. 
And I'm excited to see what they bring us this week. Every week they bring us something to talk about. Tune in next time when Andy flip flops back to trading bullion. So <laughs> thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. And we will catch you next time. Andy, actually, before we go, I always forget. Let uh, everybody know where they can find you. You can find this flip flopper at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. And I just I need to see 20 games. I need to see Boyan for 20 games with Cade. And then we can probably trade him again. But right now, we got to keep this guy. We got to keep him. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next time. We'll go on it.